hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Kanja Book Club, a weekly teeny podcast where we intentionally experience the Star Wars Expanded Universe together, one story at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, and I am here with the lover of all things marble hockey, Cheryl Bell. Cheryl, how you doing? That is a lie. I would like it stricken from the record. <laughs> it is stricken from the record. Outside of that, you doing well, friend? <laughs> Yes, I am well, thank you. <laughs> Good. So glad to have you here. I'm also here with my man Adam Dyson, who is probably absolutely thrilled that Liverpool got beat by Leicester today. How are you doing, friend? Can you say can you say Leicester again for me? Leicester. Sorry, I said Leicester, my bad. <laughs> Leicester. Sorry. That's all right. It's all right. You just you're coming from a bad place. I would also be coming from a bad place if we lost. But yeah. we didn't. We beat them. It's it's one of those things where it's like you beat me. I'm gonna mispronounce your name. I'm sorry. There's nothing nothing about it. <laughs> uh, thank I'm going you. well, mate. Ready to go. Good, good, good. Well, so glad to have you both here with me. So glad to have you all listening to us. We've got Scott and Ultimate Sauce Eight in the chat. Um, so glad y'all were able to make it through the time change. Uh, but however you're listening to us, we are live in Discord every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Um, and our episodes hit the Utini Patreon feed every Tuesday morning around midnight. If you can't catch us live, send us a message if you'd like to get your thoughts on the air. We want to make sure that you are a part of this. We've got some big changes coming down the pipe at Utini. We will have some more updates on those in the coming weeks. Uh, but we are already halfway through February, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me that this is happening so quickly. Um, we do have March's book, Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price, coming up. We'll be covering that here in about three weeks. So if you have not purchased that yet, head over to utini.com, look up Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price, um, the book profile. Click one of our affiliate links there and make sure you get that in um, by the time that we do the podcast. So let's jump straight into the whole reason that we're here and that is that we are covering heir to the empire by timothy zahn this month we are covering chapters 9 through 16 today so i'm gonna hit us up with a spoiler filled summary and then we're gonna talk about it for a bit so here we go Thrawn launches a multi-pronged attack on several planets on the edge of known space, including bipfash where the chimera is stationed it isn't too destructive as it's just the first step in a larger game when the New Republic finds out, Wedge, Han, and Leia tour the area and take stock of the Empire's abilities. Caught off guard, the Nogri attack and attempt to kidnap them with a replica Millennium Falcon. Han quickly disables it with Leia's lightsaber, and they realize it's time to lay low and find some help. After learning about the long-ago presence of a dark Jedi on Dagobah, Luke goes to check things out. Things have changed, but the dark cave is still there. Everything seems to be fine, when all of a sudden Luke has a vision of the Pit of Carcoon scene from Return of the Jedi gone absolutely wrong. He sees a Force-sensitive woman catching his lightsaber instead of him. That's pretty weird. When the fog clears, he locates a transmitter of some kind and decides to seek out Lando's help on Incline. It's a super hot planet and far too close to the sun, um, and it requires a giant umbrella-shaped ship to shelter incoming ships from overheating. Try saying that phrase seven times fast. The Falcon is there, Luke's X-Wing shows up, and then an Imperial Star Destroyer shows up to collect the mole miners in Lando's possession. Luke attempts to confuse the fighters while the Falcon picks them off. 
but touching minds and the force is a dark side power. He loses himself for a bit when a voice, Sabaoth, asks Luke to come to him on Joe Mark. When he awakens to find the Empire has run off, he reconvenes with the gang. Lando drops Taloncard's name as someone who may be able to help Leia, but Chewie suggests that she actually go to Kashyyyk for safety. Han doesn't like it, but Leia persists. It's the, it's the right move. The crew splits up. Somehow, Thrawn has footage of all of this happening, and he knows exactly the configuration of the end result and how they were able to achieve everything. He intends to capture or interrupt Luke Skywalker on his way to Sabaoth, and after a thrilling chase, Luke is able to escape. Paleon wonders when Thrawn will blow up. Absolutely lose his mind, because Luke got away. But he doesn't lose his temper like Darth Vader or our homeboy Kylo Ren might. After a particularly teachable moment, Thrawn urges Rook to kill the person responsible. Weak minds are not worth having around. Luke has escaped, but not for long. There's a bounty on him now, and Thrawn hopes that someone like Card will be able to catch him, especially for 30,000 credits. This was a fun one. Um, I love that we're moving into the plot a bit more. We're getting into the thick of things. Some some stuff is happening. We have a replica Millennium Falcon showing up out of nowhere. Um, let's talk about it a bit. But first, I kind of want to get your overarching thoughts on this. Um, Adam, what do you think of uh, chapters 9 through 16? Uh, they were enjoyable, mate. I, um, I don't think I... I do regret now pushing ahead and reading this whole book. And... Yeah, I can see Cheryl smiling at me because I've <laughs> since read the second one and now I'm like halfway into, into the dark. So we're going back in time a little bit right now. Yeah. But I do definitely remember the first eight chapters more fondly than this. And I think out of this group of chapters, uh, Luke's vision on Dagobah stands out the most for me. Um, and the idea of, of, of Mara Jade being there and nearly having the ability to, to change history. Yeah. Yeah, there's some weird weird stuff going on being back on Dagobah. Um, Cheryl, what'd you think of this little bit of chapters? Um, yeah, I find them enjoyable. I like, I like the gang all back together with Lando. Yeah. I like that scene in particular when everyone's all together and they're all bouncing their ideas off of one another and you see their very distinct personality traits and how each person brings their own flavor to the mix and how well they work together. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's a, a great point. And we'll get to Lando um, here in a little bit, because I do think he brings some interesting things to the, the plot, which we'll see. But let's talk about Thrawn and Sabaoth to begin with. Cheryl, do you think that Sabaoth actually knows that Thrawn is testing him, you know, this whole time? Um, or do you think that he's too focused on his own goals to notice what's going on? Um, I think he knows, because... Sabayath is a man who's obsessed with controlling others, so he's going to recognize it when someone else is trying to control or manipulate him. Um, he may be unstable, but he's not a simpleton. Okay. I like that thought. Adam, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, not really. When you control others, you tend to be able to tell if someone's trying to control you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't really have any more to add to that one. He looked he looked a bit exhausted at the end of the whole the whole thing. So there was part oh, of me It's taxing. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So there's I guess there's part of me in my head, like obviously, you know, we talked last week that Emperor Palpatine was strong enough to be able to control everything going on. And with how worn out it looks like Sabaoth is, for sure you know he's at least not that powerful. So there's there was a, a little hint in the back of my head of like, you know, maybe Maybe Thrawn could pull a fast one on him. Like, maybe he is being sneaky. 
Um, but that could also just be Thrawn being too full of himself and, you know, maybe think maybe I'm reading that through Thrawn's lens of, oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I'm too smart for this guy. I don't know. I did love uh, that Paleon was able to look at the, I guess, the productivity charts. Uh, it was like, oh, yeah, this is a thing that's happening. This is real. Palpatine was really strong. And uh, yeah, they're performing 40% better through this mind control thing. I thought that was a really interesting piece of information to, to lay out. Um, kind of like Paleon going, oh, this is, this is worth paying attention to. Um, we get Talon and Mara Jade. They're kind of watching this Imperial attack unfold on Bipfash, um, which I absolutely love this name um, as the little tangent because Han at one point says, yeah, there was this attack on Bipfash and two other unpronounceable ones. And I'm like, I'm sorry, is Bipfash pronounceable to you? Because <laughs> um, I wouldn't I have been able to get it without the <laughs> audiobook. <laughs> um, I, to this day, did not know how it was pronounced until you just said it. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, and um, Scott and I were talking about this a little bit um, in the chat. He was like, you know, as someone who has a BP combo in their last name where the B is silent, um, I'm tempted to read it as Pfash. Uh, but that's probably not the correct pronunciation. And yeah, I would have absolutely had no idea um, if it wasn't for the audiobook. So anyways, but we get Talon and Mara um, kind of watching this Imperial attack unfold on Bipfash. Um, you know, Adam, at this point, they're still not the primary characters who are going to carry the majority of this um, story, you know, in future books and stuff. But what did we learn about them from the little bit that we saw? Um, it, it looks like we're still getting some breadcrumbs for, for a larger picture. I'm going to preface this again, that I've completely learned my lesson about reading a whole book in like three days. But anyway, <laughs> um, I think what you like leaning, like what you said here on the notes, so leaning into Mara, having an ethical cult and loyalty to her word. I think it starts to, to come out. And as, as we read on for me, I think loyalty is definitely a big part of her character. Um, loyalty to the emperor despite i'm guessing we're going to find out how that happens in the third book but um loyalty to card uh, yeah i still really like in chapters one to eight i really enjoyed talon and like for this scene like just the ability to wait and just sit back and let it unfold not to not to insert himself into anything that he shouldn't really be inserting himself into um just a thinker and I like characters who think. So. Yeah. And he's also got the, the the restraint on that front, right? To not go in and finish a job because he knows it's probably going to end well for him if he does. Uh, but yeah, Cheryl, what did you think about about this scene? And, and did you find anything interesting about, um, about how Talon and Mara approached this little bit? My answer is strictly towards leaning into Mara and her ethical code and yeah. her loyalty to her words. So my thought is because it's hard for me to answer the question without taking my knowledge of right. her upbringing um, and what I know what I know of her identity into this consideration. Because um, many victims of grooming show loyalty to their abusers even after they are mm. free because mm -hmm. of the insidious nature of the manipulation and the trauma bonds that are formed right so we see her loyalty in this particular scene as like an almost virtuous trait but her fierce response to loyalty betrayal and perceived ethical code is in her case a result of her experienced trauma and brainwashing 
Mm. Um, but I do want to also add to, I do totally agree with Adam in that card has the ability to just sit back and observe and not be rash. Right. Well, and it's, it's interesting to watch their pairing because I, both traits are valuable at very different times. Um, and I love that point that you bring out about, about Mara, knowing that we're going to learn some more of this down the line, but to be able to, um, it does read different once you know everything. Um, and th- that's just like the way that you would approach, I think, anybody in life. Um, context really matters. Um, and so once we get to know a little bit more of her history, um, you, you get a sense for why some of these, like why her loyalty seems to be so, um, like why she seems so hurt by, by not following on the word that was established. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point though, to bring up what that looks like when you've been in a, in an abusive relationship and how you can still tend to show favor in that particular way. Leia and Chewie, um, I'm going to skip some of these things because I think we'll kind of fit them in a little bit later on. But we get, you know, Leia and Chewie are going to hide out on Kashyyyk. Um, Han is not at all a fan of it because they're, you know, really tall up into the trees and it's a bunch of burly, hairy walking carpets, you know, walking around um, that she probably can't really understand them. They could probably barely understand her. Um, Does it make sense to you, uh, Cheryl, that they're that this is the plan? that, that Leia is going to go and hang out with Chewie on Kashyyyk. Uh, yeah. Um, Wookiees are fiercely loyal and a species of honor, so they can be trusted with Leia's protection. So I think it's a smart move. And narratively, this side of Chewie's culture will parallel the nature of an unex- unexpected ally yet to emerge. Mm, yes. Ooh, tease. Um, I love, too, that this... Um, I don't know, at least from a lot of the the books that I've read, we don't get to see um, Chewie really lean into the life debt side of things um, that, you know, we've, we've come to learn that he kind of owes Han. Um, And it's, it's neat to see how it carries over into the rest of Han's family, right? Like Chewie gets to become super protective of Leia Um, in canon. He becomes super protective of Ben. (laughs) Um, And like, that's so, um, I don't know. That's that's a really neat, very expansive thing that you wouldn't have expected. I think from the concept that these are, you know, big, hairy, walking brutes, pretty much. Um, Adam, what do you think about them going to Kashyyyk? I like the the idea of running away from Imperial agents and hiding out on a planet of the for, like the formerly oppressed Wookiee race. I think also adds to adds to the genius of the plan that. These Wookiees are probably going to do anything to keep the Empire off that planet and to hide out there is just a really smart decision in my book. Not even taking into account what Cheryl said about the Wookiees in general, which just adds to the genius of the plan. It's so cool. I don't know. I want to meet a Wookiee one day. Can we make that happen? Anybody know any? If you know any Wookiees in the chat, please let me know. <laughs> um, and I'm 2021, mate. You know, I'm sure there'll be plenty of Wookiees for you to hug. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, there's no telling. I loved the scene where, you know, the our heroes, when they're getting together and they're trying to figure out how to escape, 
Um, I love that, that they think through things so extremely of like, this is going to be so intricate. We're going to, Leia's going to go here and they're going to be on the, the Lady Luck and um, Lando's going to come with Han and be on the, the Falcon. And we're going to manipulate C-3PO's voice to sound like Leia and no one will ever figure it out. It's going to be fine. The Empire's too dumb to recognize what's going on. And then our homeboy Thrawn just watches a video clip, you know, and he's like, oh, I know exactly what's happening here. Even C-3PO's role in all of this. Did that at all? Were you surprised at all by that, Adam? Um, that Thrawn is just—he was able to just watch this YouTube clip basically and figure everything out. Uh, no, not really. I was introduced. So this is my first Legends story of Thrawn, but I'd, I'd read all the canon books and seen him in Rebels, etc. I'd seen how smart this individual was, and now I'm just getting to see the Legend side of it. Um, so not at all surprised. And like. This this story has been around for a long time. We said it in the, what, the first episode that yeah, if you haven't read this and you're about to be spoiled, then it's probably your own fault. Um, <laughs> so I have, yeah, I know all about Thrawn in Legends. But it doesn't surprise me that he can just go with it. Yeah, Cheryl, how about you? Um, obviously, you've lived with Thrawn for a long time. Um, he can easily see through all of this. What are your what's your take on that? Yeah, I think that's just to highlight his tactician and master's strategist mind, like mm-hmm. to really show it at work. Like he's just working through the surveillance footage, like an equation of probability along with the added knowledge of understanding how your opponent's minds operate. So I, I, I love how Paleon is like, the fuck? Like, how does this guy know all this? Like, right. I, it's just, it just kind of reminds me of when like people are playing poker. And they're counting cards or they're playing chess and they're weighing all the possible moves that their opponent can make and trying to like anticipate that. So, yeah, well, and, you know, kind of skipping down to talk about, you know, Thrawn specifically, you know, he is pretty willing to be flexible um, and he's open and he's open to questioning things that he doesn't know. Um, And he's I mean, he like you said, he's a master strategist. Um, do you, it, do you think because he's flexible, like, is that the reason that he's so successful? Like, do you think his ability to think through every possible option is, is why he is just a beast? Yeah. This is, that's a sign of a true leader of someone with like true intellect, like smart people know that they don't know everything and that there's always room to grow in knowledge. So leaders who think that they know everything ultimately lose due to having too much ego and not enough hubris, right? So I definitely believe that that's why Thrawn is such an excellent tactician and commander. And that's that's a good point. Sometimes intelligence is about knowing the things that you don't know. Um, and he is definitely a, a poster child of that example. Um Adam, you know, one of the things that I found interesting about Thrawn is towards the end of this section, you know, we walk into this giant art room, right? And there's holograms of everything. And as Paleon is walking out, the holograms go away. Uh, there's this one piece of art that's there um, and it's from a failed job. And Paleon stops and looks at it and Thrawn's like, yeah, this is this is from one of my failures. Um, I ended up blowing up the planet that it was associated with. Um, but why do you think that he kept this piece of, of art? Um, do you think it goes to what Cheryl was talking about um, in you know, being flexible and as a, as a reminder of, hey, I don't know everything, so I should you know, keep my head on a swivel? I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I saw it as like he's clearly incredibly capable. I think with 
capability comes confidence and having that piece of art there would keep him it would help keep himself humble mm. that he can make mistakes and those mistakes can be quite large and i think to see that piece of art would remind him of that fact and i don't know much about art uh cheryl can tell you i pick really really bad pictures <laughs> <laughs> i mean to quote master yoda the greatest lesson failure is mm. right like so that ties into like the your previous our previous thoughts is that he finds value in learning from his failure so yeah it, i mean i th I like he, he seeks to, to keep learning from it he's like why did i fail so mm. i mean the chilling part is that he also has it as a trophy after he obliterated their world but yeah, yeah. It, it tells me our boy knows how to keep a grudge <laughs> <laughs> for sure he is savage um which you know speaking of being savage his towards the end too he um has this fantastic teachable moment when speaking of failure um with the ensign um the the person underneath the ensign who is supposed to keep track of luke um in the tractor beam and loses him he he doesn't think well enough um, or quick enough to um you know, to recapture him. So Thrawn makes this whole big deal. He doesn't lose his top. He doesn't, you know, freak out and, and just berate these people. Um, but what did you think, Cheryl, of that teachable moment he had with the ensign uh, right before he kills the poor kid that is actually responsible? <laughs> like, I thought it was pretty brutal. Um, like, cause yeah, it's just reinforcing that Thrawn views not being able to quickly adapt and overcome an unexpected situation in the heat of battle is an error, which makes sense due to his natural ability as a tactical genius. Right. But like, I don't know. I actually thought it was going to be the ensign that was going to be the one that would end up yeah. killed mm -hmm. because like, it's just like a poor student, maybe a reflection of a poor teacher. Right. Like which I thought it was going to go the other point. way. And then, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I, I don't know. I thought it showed a little bit of a, a, a lack of empathy and from Thrawn and his ability to be very cold, which I think in canon has changed from because we see a similar scene to this in the new canon oh, yeah, uh, books, right. and it goes a completely different way. So, mm. Adam, what do you think about that? It's funny that you bring up the, the canon because I was thinking of that Rebels episode where he states that all techs are going to now test their own equipment. Um, and was that example of, of, I forget the actual bit of equipment that the tech uses, but it goes horribly wrong. Mm. And he yeah, just but that was there and watches it. Yeah, that wasn't, that was a, that was a prisoner though. So that wasn't like an Imperial officer. That was a, that was like someone from Lethal who okay. he sensed is betraying them and so then he gets he's like okay i know what's going on here and i'm going to teach them a lesson whereas in in the canon books it's an, another imperial officer that makes the mistake of not being able to anticipate the maneuver and failing mm -hmm. to catch them and he instead of killing them gives them the chance to 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 try to come up with a solution to the problem that was presented because one hasn't shown itself yet and so he's like okay like here i'm going to give you this task you figure out how to correct this action okay we must have just i remembered it differently but yeah that makes sense 
I, it, it does make me think, and I know that this isn't in the notes. Um, one of the, I mean, because there is a difference a, a little bit in the ruthlessness of Legends Thrawn versus Canon Thrawn, Thrawn, it seems to be not necessarily um, softer, but he is a little less brutal. Um, do you think that was an intentional decision on Zahn's piece? And do you have a, a preference, I guess? Um, Adam, let's start with you. Like in terms of making Canon Thrawn a bit, quote, softer? Yeah. Yeah, I think that in this day and age, the idea of an anti-hero and a villain, and there's a blurred line between the two. I think that the Canon Thrawn is a product of the time that he was written in. Um, like, for me, And that's why I gravitated towards him, because I'm a quite a big fan of, of anti-heroes or well-written villains. Yeah. You know, we th- I think about Ed of the Empire, it's written in the early 90s when the hero and the villain, they were very much too, there was a big line between them and they had two distinct roles to play. But when writing the new canon from, it's like, those lines are blurred. I think he's just a product of that. Hmm. Cheryl, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. They're much more defined in Legends. Um, I definitely love canon Thrawn even more so I like the direction that Zahn has taken with him I think Rebels Thrawn like in the TV show is more aligned with Legends Thrawn okay like in that because he has to serve the purpose of being the villain in the in the children's show and have that line be a little bit more defined whereas I like in the books it's a little bit more open to that anti-hero type of like Ultimately, yes, he's doing evil, but he's doing it for good purposes. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, is he truly bad or and villainous or? Yeah, yeah. It's that's... just it's a more open discussion, I think, with canon Thrawn. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm reading the 20th anniversary edition of Heir to the Empire, and one of the things that Timothy Zahn states is that the primary reason for having Paleon as a character is because he didn't want to get into Thrawn's mind in legends because he is a little bit more alien and, you know, that could just present a whole bunch of different conflicts and random things. Uh, But we never get to see to an extent why Thrawn does the things that he does from a, like from a personal standpoint, like we just get the, he's the Imperial, he's the big bad, you know, very much like you're both saying, but I love that in canon, we're getting that um, Thrawn is very much the hero of his own story. Like he's he's doing the things that he wants to do because he feels like he needs to be doing them. Um, there's there's a very particular reason to go down that road. And yeah, I love the compelling villains where in a certain light, you you would you agree with them and you find yourself questioning, why do I agree with them so much? Um, and then you remember, wait, they they they're probably the bad guy here. This is this is weird. I, I like that that thinking through um but yeah he's absolutely brutal in in legends and in this particular book in this moment with the ensign was just like the fact that zon wrote in the in the book that a character threw up in the background <laughs> like it was such a like shocking visceral moment um just that weight was so heavy um let's talk about lando for a minute um you know we go to incline and it's definitely not a place that i would want to visit <laughs> it's way too hot but what did you think that we got Lando back? Um, Cheryl, what do you think that Lando will add to this story now that he's here? 
Charisma. No. Mm. Yes. <laughs> um, I think I, I, so this is going to bring in my favorite boy, Han, but I think that Han has lost some of that suave, smuggler, sometimes questionable way of doing things now that he's been with the New Republic for a while. So I think Lando kind of brings that point of view back in as someone who still operates somewhat outside of that structure. So Lando's going to come in and help and come up with solutions and answers that maybe Han might not consider as much anymore. And he's also going to bring connections. So it's all about information and who you know. Yeah, he I mean, immediately threw out Talon Card's name as someone that would be worth reaching out to. Um, and so already we're seeing some of those connections get pulled. Um, and he, you know, I thought it was cool the way that we had, you know, Luke went to Dagobah and found that transmitter. And he's like, I bet Lando would know what this is. And then Han's like, hey, I, we need to go talk to Lando. And, you know, it's... He didn't know that Lando would know. R2 told him. R2 told him. Okay, you're right. R2 said, I saw Lando with something like that. Good call. You're right. Um, but it's still, it's cool, you know, that whether it's coincidence or it's the force, you know, I love that yeah. that our characters on completely different planets on opposite sides of the galaxy both go, Lando, and we get to, to get him back into the fold. Adam, how did you like seeing Lando uh, come back and be a part of the gang again? Loved it. I, like Cheryl said, but she said it much better than me. I think Han is just enhanced by having Lando at his side. Um, and again, just brings the swagger to the story, the coolness. I just You see Lando and you just think cool in general. Um, but yeah, like Han is just enhanced with him being there. The two, if, when the two are together, big things happen. Yeah, definitely. Also, uh, we need to shout out um, our boy Patrick McIntosh, who has jumped into the chat. What is up, Patrick? It is good to see you. He, he also has a point about Lando, Timothy. Yes. Uh, Lando shows up, the sexiness goes up. <laughs> and you're <laughs> yes. right. You're right. The boy is smooth. The boy is so smooth. Um, no, I, I love getting him back in the picture. Um, we did mention briefly that, um, Luke does go to Dagobah. We mentioned that he picks up this transmitter. Um, Leia explains, you know, there's this whole thing where, um, you know, the Fashi don't like the Jedi because of an incident, you know, back in the Clone Wars. And then the Stark Jedi ended up going to Dagobah and it was this whole thing. Um, Cheryl, what did you think about Luke returning to Dagobah? Um, and to the cave and what do you think that the vision that he had what do you think that that means for him it's a bit grounding like a way to reflect and gain some insight that he may have missed when he was younger and still full of so many questions about what his place and all this was like he's grown up a lot since then um and his dark side cave visions tend to show him possibilities so like in empire it shows him what he could become if he continues with fear and anger and hate, like he could become the very thing that he wishes at that point in time to destroy. Um, so here, I think it seems to show him a possible past. So now he's left asking, who is that woman and what role is she to possibly play in my life journey? Mm. She's probably going to play a pretty big part. <laughs> Adam, what did what did you think about going into the cave and um, and about what what all this meant for Luke to go back here? I definitely think it was a great callback, and like I said at the start of the show, the vision was probably my favorite part of this section. 
closely followed by Lando Swagger returning. Um, and like in hindsight, we know what the vision meant. Uh, I'm going to get up to some pretty special scenes between the two of them. Um, but like, I guess trying to think back in time of what I thought when I first like read this vision, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. Like I think I had an inkling, but like Timothy Zahn wasn't like throwing it in my face or anything. I had to think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's and what I, I think. I think. I think the cave scene did exactly what the cave scene did in Empire. Like it made it made the viewer stop it and think about exactly what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Ultimate Sauce, you know, makes a point of you know from this, I wasn't sure whether Mara was force sensitive, um, and it's definitely not something that's explicitly called out. But you know, she's the only other kind of random person so far in the story that has had these weird inclinations she doesn't feel comfortable talking about luke she doesn't feel comfortable talking about the old empire um and so then for you know this kind of random new character to to have these thoughts and feelings and to i don't know just feel a certain type of way and then to to see luke see this this woman um it's very interesting something sim- not not too dissimilar to this happened in canon um recently in the comics um where there was this woman's hair she, or uh it showed a uh, like a silhouette or something of a woman reaching out and grabbing this uh, lightsaber f- that fell from Cloud City, like that whole scene. And there were some people online that were like, oh, my God, that's Mara Jade. And it's like, no, I don't think it is. Um, and th- thank goodness it wasn't. Um, but, you know, there's just these these little ties that kind of could push you to think maybe maybe this could be. Uh, but yeah, Ultimate Sauce is definitely not not explicit. But that's something that we we may see here uh, here soon. Do you have any thoughts, Adam, on the Leia and Luke are having that conversation? They talk about how, you know, maybe there's Yoda being the positive side of the force and the dark Jedi and the cave being kind of this negative dark side of the force. Like, did you have any thoughts on the balance and how maybe that is what kept Yoda hidden? Like, I know we love our force lore on the show. <laughs> um, did did you find that to be kind of odd or, or does that make sense to you? Could be wrong. I just seems that the force in the legend seems to be very. Um, I'm gonna have to try and explain this, but like, uh, there's very much light and there's very much dark. There's no kind of blending. Uh, it just seems like heroes and villains. It's just very two distinct roles. And I think in canon we've started to see that the idea of the two affecting the other. Um, yeah, just just yeah. I kind of didn't even think more on it. I just kind of moved on. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Cheryl, do you have any thoughts on that? That shows the difference between Adam and I, because like the whole (laughs) positive, negative, like balance, like canceling each other out of energy. Like that is one of my favorite parts of this book and like as actually like a headcanon I hold to my day like of course they couldn't know he was there because <laughs> the dark side energy negated his light side energy and then they couldn't detect him to the point. like I yeah I still am like that's why that's why they couldn't find him like, to this day <laughs> yeah that's it's really cool it wasn't something that I expected I guess um you know, we learn in, in canon and the, the Clone Wars that Dagobah is like this uh, force nexus, I guess, kind of thing. And you can just do with it whatever you want. Kind of whoever controls it. It's 
Adam, it's kind of like uh, like Battlefront Two. Uh, you know, you hold your hold your base, and it changes from blue to red depending on which <laughs> team you're on. Um, and that's kind of sometimes how I feel like the force is is whoever kind of controls the nexus. Like that's probably the side that's going to mm. lean towards. But I do love the idea that that it could balance each other out in a way, um, and that it could just kind of negate the power outright. Um, it's a really interesting concept. Um, and Ultimate Sauce because we can't go a show without name dropping mace windu he says uh whilst he is a hero there is still windu who balances both um like both sides but he tends to remain more on the side of the light um except for when he's being a a meanie butt to our girl ahsoka um (laughs) but yeah there there is something really interesting about about that cancellation of powers i guess um that could go back to last week's conversation too about how the um, Isalamiri affect um, Sabayoth as well, um, and that kind of neutralizing of abilities there. Someone who is trying to develop some of those force abilities um, and is trying to find her way in this whole new world that she's now in, we get to see Leia train with a lightsaber. Um, that was one of my absolute favorite moments in the rise of Skywalker, getting that flashback sequence personally. Um, but how did it feel, um, Cheryl to you to read Leia with a lightsaber and trying to figure it out? Yeah, I liked it. Uh, I think she needs to be able to partake in aggressive negotiations. So (laughs) if the unfortunate situation arises, so, um, I just, I want her to be able to defend herself if needed and, also, to be able to yield a lightsaber with skill earns one more respect, so that's always a nice benefit as well. I think other people will look up to her even more than they already do. Yeah, it'll pad her political stats a bit. Um, like I have, yeah. I have a different kind of authority now, too. Adam, what, what about you? Did you like seeing Leia um, training here? I did. It was nice to see her like as a student and you usually see her being so capable and in charge and having the ability to just continue pushing forward but like to see her as a student trying to learn um it was nice yeah do you think um you know i i brought up the the quote from yoda um you know she talks about how maybe you know some of all of her training that she got on alderaan is probably throwing her off and not letting her let go because she's got this different kind of instinct that's coming in and is like keeping her kind of rigid um yeah do you think that she has to unlearn what she has learned in order to become a bit of you know a a better jedi um or do you think that she's just stressed and overworked adam what do you think i think that she's probably carried the galaxy's problems on her back most of her life and naturally that's going to exhaust her but i've always always struggled with the line you must forget what you have learned um like to an extent yes um but just but to also use what you have learned and to change, not to just completely forget about it, but to morph it into something else. I think um, that's what I would, that's what I think that's what I prefer to see. Yeah. If she can just kind of hone some of those things and use them in a new way, perhaps that it might actually make mm-hmm. her a bit stronger than to start from scratch all over again, possibly. Cheryl, what do you think about that? Like in regards to her also being overworked and learning what she has to learn, I think it's like, it's definitely a bit of both. Like she's got a lot of big 
things on her plate right now. And it's going to be hard to relax and clear your mind when you're thinking about all that other stuff. And it's also going to be hard to overcome old reflex actions in regards specifically to her combat skills. Like she has to master trusting and master trusting in the force and to let go her conscious self and act on instinct, as Ben would put it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good point when thinking about how some of those reflexes will be used and, and come up like they can impede in, in many of the ways that she's she's used to. Um, I think we find Luke in some ways um, in a different set of circumstances, um, almost like he's kind of letting go entirely the other direction. Um, he immediately after you know this training session, he blacks out, you know, fighting and and then going up against the the training remotes, um, blacking out, losing large chunks of time. Um, Cheryl, what do you think is is causing this to happen? Um, and do you think there's some dark side influence there? I don't think this. I I never read it as dark side influence. I just read it as losing all sense of time while in heavy meditation. Okay. I was kind of thinking to um, at least the scene that popped into my head because it seemed like Luke was concerned almost. And I know that there was a, a different, um, I know it was a different circumstance, but it reminded me of Anakin's line um, after he goes and slaughters all of the Tusken Raiders. He's like, what have I done? Like he doesn't get it. Like he was just in a completely different state while he was going through it. And so there's part of me that's like, he's just aggressively frustrated and maybe it just, he kind of he kind of lost it there um adam what what do you think is is causing him to black out yeah i didn't um i didn't see it as the dark side either but like the anakin always love a bit of anakin and i of course you do that's gonna make me think for a little that's gonna it's gonna make me think a little bit more into this scenario now but again it's just you know meditating the whole point is to lose oneself into something deeper um, to not think about time and to not think about anything else around you. Um, so that's how I took it as well. Yeah. It's it's interesting because any time that it seems like he's trying to use his force abilities, this kind of thing is happening now. Like he tries to confuse the pilots, you know, with the mind trick. Um, and then he blacks out when he hears Sabaoth's voice. Um, and, you know, personally, I think that they might be a little bit different, but do you think Adam that, you know, his use of trying to mind trick these pilots is pretty much in a way close to what Sabaoth is doing with the way that he's <laughs> controlling, you know, full armies? Uh, I think, uh, mind influence or in turn to mind control is something I've always been a little bit iffy on when I have seen it. Um, from the moment I saw it in a new hope, which it was just cool. He's just controlling the troopers, getting away. He's the good guy. They're the bad guy. Good to go. But like, as I've grown older and, and read stories in canon, etc., I have struggled with the idea of influencing another's mind mm. for your will. Like it's it's not really mind control, but you're still pushing them in a direction they might not want to go. Yeah, it's manipulation. Yeah, that discussion, their, that, that, discussion that discussion of exactly that discussion of free will. Um, and the Jedi use this trick all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know what's stopping them you know, doing it on the bad guy versus doing it on a good guy you know we read light, light of the jedi elzar man wants to do it 
Right. But like Avar's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I have I have struggled with influencing another's free will and the Jedi is just just happy to do it. Cheryl, do you have any thoughts Where on do this? you draw the line? The line has the potential to get blurred real quick. Yeah. Because you're influencing someone else's mind in a way that takes over their ability to make their own choice. So overriding someone's autonomy is definitely questionable, even if your intent is good. It's still a form of deceit. So. Yeah. Well, and when he blacks out, he he hears this voice. We learn it's Sabaoth. With Luke being in the compromised state that he is, do you think he's ready to to see him? Do you think he's ready to go up and see this Jedi Master, Cheryl? What do you think about this? I think he's very vulnerable right now. Mm. Like, because Luke feels a bit lost right now. So I think he's going to be a bit susceptible to Sabaoth's deceptions because he's longing for a teacher and an elder mentor right now. So definitely vulnerable yeah. sorry if my lap if you guys can hear my laptop it the fan's going right now so. yeah you're good my macbook air is the exact same way so if it sounds like okay. it's about to take off <laughs> i apologize yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> adam what do you think is is luke ready um or is he just looking so badly for a teacher you know you need a teacher um is he is he just looking so badly for a teacher that he'll find it anywhere yeah, I think despite everything that he's been through, he's still a relatively young man, and he's he's looking for someone a bit older to help him through life. Um, and I, I don't think anyone's really ready for Sabaoth. I think he's a whole different beast. So, yeah, uh, a thousand Them, percent. They just blind you. Mm, yeah, so he's, <laughs> he's a young he's a he's a young man looking for help, um, and there's Sabaoth willing to help. So naturally, you get you know you're going to be attracted to that type of predator. Yeah, that's a, a great point. Um, the last, well, I guess speaking of predator, you use a great word there. Um, we get the Nogri. Uh, they show up and spontaneously attack our um, our friends there on Bipfash. The only thing that I want to ask about them um, <laughs> at this point, like, what does it say? Like, they do not play around. Like, what does it say about them that they have an almost carbon copy of the Millennium Falcon? Um, Adam, when you saw that, I mean, like, did you lose your mind? Like, what what kind of budget are these kids working with? <laughs> I definitely had a laugh. Um, it's incredibly clever. Uh, I just, I think I was mostly thinking about how much do I put it at their feet, you know, or Thrawn's influence. Yeah. You know, working through them. But it was it was a very cool trick, and you know, naturally, Han doesn't fall for it. So it's cool. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really interesting, and I I didn't really think about it until this moment. But that they saw the Falcon come in in those first eight chapters, and it it was like this super great thing. Oh, we're saved! And then they try to do basically the exact same thing here. Cheryl, did you? Uh, what did you think about them? And what does it say that they have this the, this copy of the Falcon? says they're intelligent and separates them from everyday thugs and mercenaries, I think. I mean, yeah. we know they're space ninjas already, so now we know that they're really smart space ninjas, so that makes them even scarier, so I love it. Yeah, I I was really disappointed, I think, to say the least, whenever we got uh, 
Rook and Rebels, because I had heard all of these phenomenal things about the Nogri and about how they are, mm-hmm. you know, just a whole nother level. And then I was like, ah, oh, like Rook is exciting. I'm very glad that he's here. And then like spoilers for Rebels, he's not there very long. Um, but this is a whole different side. I mean, they are cunning. They've got some deep pockets being in, you know, Thrawn's back pocket. They they are willing to learn and do whatever it takes to accomplish the job, even though it sounds like many of them are dying doing it. Um, you know, Thrawn basically uses them as, um, as lap dogs in a sense, like go and do the things that I'm asking you to do. And I know that we'll cross that bridge later, but it's, it was really, really cool to see them be able to pull this kind of a stunt off. We're coming up on the end of this particular discussion. Um, I did um, catch a couple of things Um, that I wanted to make mention of. We've already Mm -hmm. talked about, um, you know, the Chimera's crew, you know, running 40% better in the Bipfash attack. Um, So yeah, Palps was definitely a beast. Um, I thought that was, that was neat that we got Paleon's confirmation on that. I love that Han uses Leia's lightsaber to disable this um, not Falcon Falcon. That's the second time that he's used a lightsaber um, in this particular chronology. Um, you know, he used Luke's to open up um, the poor Tauntaun and then, you know, he's using Leia's here. I think that's really cool because, you know, we, and we had this conversation, Adam weeks ago um, about how there are so few non force sensitives that have used lightsabers. Um, and I think it's cool that we get to see Han do it twice. Um, cause he's just that much of a beast heading to incline. Uh, we get some more dialogue that's really reminiscent to empire strikes back. Um, whenever he's like, no, I'm looking for Lando. <laughs> um, and Leia is just like, ah, oh, fond memories in cloud city. Um, and I, I remember talking with Scott earlier this week, you know, it does at this particular point, like you can definitely notice it quite a bit more. At least I felt like, um, that, we're leaning pretty heavily on some of this um, original trilogy dialogue, um, which I think is fine, uh, but sometimes it can come on a little bit thick. Uh, Cheryl, did did you catch that moment? And wh- what are your thoughts on it? No, oh, definitely caught it. And then I loved it because I love the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yes, so again, absolutely. it doesn't, it doesn't detract from the story for me when it's done right. And I still felt like it was done right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, again, it's a, someone trying to show up and just be like, like, the, it's, a, it's a natural response for the control tower to not just let anyone land, so. Yeah, especially if you're not going to tell you who you are, like. Yeah. yeah. Yep, get that. Um, backtracking real quick to the Nogri Ultimate Sauce 8 says, um, getting the Nogri in the, in the Ahsoka series would be insane. Um that would be kind of neat to see them show up in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we mentioned briefly that this happens around the same time frame, like five years after Return of the Jedi, much like Mando happens five years after Return of the Jedi, just in canon. It'd be really interesting to see if they were able to tie some of this together. Um, just wanted to make sure to, to point that out. Um, but yes, Empire Strikes Back is the, the top three favorite movies all time. Um, and I love getting getting to see that scene um, and getting to see Leia's fond memories of it. It's kind of her way of being like, Oh yeah, we're going back to the old times. Like, like this is nice. This is familiar. 
um, random chaos and almost dying is is perfectly in tune with with who we are and who I am and what we're used to. Maybe she has fond memories of Vespin because that's where Han professed his love for her. So yeah, maybe sure. that comes into play. <laughs> for sure. Well, and Adam, you know, we talked a little bit when we read Bloodline um, that she has that similar longing of like, you know, maybe I'm not not meant to sit in an office and be politicking the whole time. Like maybe I'm supposed to be on the front lines doing things. Like I say, I don't want to, but it doesn't seem like I have a choice when I keep getting attracted to these kinds of things. And it kind of follows me. Um, I love that. Yeah. It, it, it happens in real life. I've seen many pilots from my days in uniform who, who have been in for so long and they get promoted and then they get promoted to a desk and they struggle. They just yeah. cannot deal with it. I think it's just coming from a job of such high adrenaline and activity to then, something that isn't that and they just you have to try and adapt and some can't yeah well and i I was just gonna say it's definitely the adrenaline Mm, yeah Yeah, well and i'm i'm definitely nowhere near retirement age but like i i have heard that retirement is also just an endless pursuing like fight against being bored um and so just having something to do um is a challenge and so yeah i'd imagine you've got to find some way to to make yourself worthwhile but i'm glad that i'm glad that leia had this moment here now i wrote this question in the notes and i don't know that i actually thought of an answer myself so i apologize (laughs) um but zahn makes mention that um talon cards crew you know then there there were a couple of of other examples but um all of his ship names, his cruise ships are um, like puns and full of wordplay. And so I was wondering if you guys, um, Adam, we can start with you. If you got to name your own ship, what would you cleverly name it? If you happen to have been in Talon's crew, would you have a fun punny name? Not just Adam's ship. <laughs> you are so lame. Uh, <laughs> I'd have to think about it. Uh, I I didn't even see this question in the notes. Um, I don't know. I'm going to call it Adam Ship, and then when I find a pun, I'll spray paint that name out, and then spray paint something over it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Cheryl, do you have a better right. answer? This is why I'm here. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, because there was no there was no question in the notes. Any time I had to think of funny things, I'm not a naturally funny person. So uh, I would I would bring my ship to Pelincast. Oh my gosh, they were in the I... notes. They're right here in front of my face. I'm sorry, Tim. No, you're good. You're good. Again, I didn't think about. I just ignored this question completely. You just bring your ship to the fleet, and you like Talon. I would like you to name my ship for me. Um, ultimate sauce eight says that his would be the ultimate saucer. <laughs> and I love oh, that. And I, I think that <laughs> one's going to be the winner for the show. <laughs> um, well, freaking done. I love that so much. Oh man. Well, let's last question for us on the day. Um, favorite moments or characters, um, Cheryl, did anything particularly point, uh, stick out to you in this eight chapters? I think one of my favorite moments was actually um, when they were flying down to, how do you pronounce Lando, the planet that Lando's on? Um, Nikon? Yeah, Inclon, something like that. Inclon, something like that. That one. When they, they were flying down to that one and they have to be hooked up to the big shield ship or whatever. Yeah. And 
they're being they're, the last minute. Oh, another ship's coming. And of course, Han's like alarm bells are going off. Like, oh my gosh. Like, cause he's like super paranoid right now. And they're trying to figure out who the other ship is. And then they're like, okay, is it Luke or is it another decoy? Just like they use the decoy Falcon. Right. And then Han's trying to think up of something and Leia's like, I got it. And she runs and gets 3PO, right? Because mm-hmm. 3PO will be able to tell if it's not R2. Um, and Han has that moment of thinking a lot of husbands wouldn't want a wife that can think quicker on their feet than them, and he wouldn't have it any other way. And I was like, oh, my mm. boy Han, I love him so much. So I just love that little moment of them like scrambling, like, ah, Leia being like, ah, and then Han being like, and that's why I love you. Yep. Yeah, that's a, a great moment. I love that whole scene of the, the guessing game. And, and Luke's also questioning from his side of things, too. And I love mm-hmm. that it, it's a it's a center point back on the droids, too, that kind of started this whole thing off. Um, you know, the best yeah. the bestest of friends that they are. <laughs> um, and they're just immediately smack talking each other. But, yeah, I love that moment with. with Han. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> love it. Adam, how about you? What is? Uh, do you have a favorite moment or favorite character from these eight chapters? No, it would have been the Dagobah cave scene. It just reminded me of one of my favorite scenes in an incredible film. Yeah. Just a nice callback. Yep. And I love that there was a, a different experience there for him, too. It wasn't yeah. the exact same thing. So it kind of gives a yeah. sense that it is alive in some way, shape, or form. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I loved it all, honestly. Uh, but I, yeah, I think I'm going to agree with Cheryl, um, just from the, not that particular stance on it, but I, I love that guessing game If there's another ship and there's another ship and I, I don't know how this is going to work. And then all of a sudden there's a star destroyer. Um, and it's like, well, we got to be on the same side now. Um, and I, that was, that was really cool for a planet that we didn't spend a whole lot of time on, um, for any of that to be there, but we got to see how dangerous, the the stakes are and um, and how careful they have to be with each other um, and it led us to, to our boy Lando so very glad for that all right well I think that is it for the day thank you to everyone um, for listening for Scott and Ultimate Sauce and for Patrick for dropping in when you did um, thank you for listening to the Conjure Book Club we'll be back next week to talk through Heir to the Empire chapter seventeen through twenty four. Um, in the meantime, you can find me, Timothy, on Twitter and Discord at underscore T Guthrie. Adam is at DarkstarAU, and Patrick is on Discord at Mac11. Special shout out to our guest this week, Cheryl Bell. You can find her in Discord at Cheryl with the blue butterfly. If you want to help support the show, head on over to teeny.com, look up Air to the Empire, and click the Amazon link on the profile. It'll keep us on the air and help us produce some more awesome content. You'll also find links to Air to the Empire and March's book, Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price, in the show notes and in the Start Here channel in Discord. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on Patreon or pick up some sweet new merch at utini.com forward slash merch. Special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson, Kyle Hickman, Elizabeth Cloutier, Jason Mitchell, and Freddie C. on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier, and Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. And shout out to Adam for being with me here today. May the Force be with you, everyone. 